0: It's the Rush Fancast. Steve and Jerry with you. Hey, Jerry, are you recording? I just want to make sure you're recording.
1: This time I'm recording, Steve.
0: <laughs> we just, what, taped about five minutes of the podcast and you said, hey, wait a minute. Right. I'm not recording. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this time we're recording. You can find us on Twitter at Rush Fancast, Instagram, we are the Rush Cast. Email Rushcast at gmail.com. We're available on your favorite podcast app, Jer. And the base intro today was done by our good pal Lex.
1: Yeah, he's always there for us. He
0: is the best. He really is. Yeah. So, Jer, speaking of the best, it's our Twitter fans, not our fans. Yes. Twitter Rush fans. They're not our fans. They're Rush
1: fans. Yeah, we're a fan adjacent. Yeah,
0: fan adjacent. They like us because we like Rush. Right. And who wouldn't? Like someone who likes Rush. Yeah, of course. Anyway, I asked the Twitterverse this question. Side two of moving pictures. What is your favorite song on side two of moving pictures? What do you think they said?
1: Well, why don't you give me the options?
0: The options are the camera eye, witch hunt,
1: and vital signs.
0: Three options. You have a one in three shot here. Witch hunt. You are incorrect. Try again.
1: Can we do the Monty Hall? thing. <laughs> no. Now now well now my odds increase if I can only really choose between the other two. That's true. Uh the camera eye. Correct. Wow. Very That's good.
0: Great. 56% chose the camera eye and which hunt and vital signs tied for second, Jar. Wow. Both got twenty two percent. And that does add up to a hundred with my quick math.
1: <laughs> it doesn't always add up to a hundred. The rounding errors.
0: So uh, that's a little surprising. I thought Vital Signs would do a
1: little better. Oh, I was going to say Vital Signs would do a little worse. Really? You think people don't like that? I just think the other two songs are a better a little bit. Okay.
0: I love, I love Vital Signs, though. So do I. It's splitting hairs. I heard a rumor that you have a fantastic email to read. Who told you that? I can't say. I can't give up my sources, Jerry. <laughs> I think you should just read the email.
1: Yeah, I think I'm your source. <laughs> maybe it could have been you. Okay. I have to take my glasses off as usual, Steve. You look fabulous without your glasses. Oh, thanks Steve. Uh, this email is from Steven. Stephen, I love that name. I know he spells it different. He's a pH. Okay. He's a pH. I still like it. So he says, hi, Jerry. I thought I would email and recount a tale of a 60 year old bloke, Aussie term for man. I think he's from Australia. Yes. Who has followed Rush for nearly 45 years. It all started in the mid 70s when I was still in high school. My escape from reality was my music and vinyl was my tonic. Of course, I was into ACDC, The Bon Years only. Okay. Which I yeah, I agree with. Uh, Led Zeppelin, Thin Lizzy and The Like. Essentially anything with that chukka chukka guitar sound. Occasionally I would venture into the Melbourne CBD looking for alternative albums. And those hidden gems from overseas living in the suburbs only gave one a limited range of musical choices. Melbourne City had a multitude of different options to buy music and some stores held international pressings that were difficult to find. In the OS section, that stands for overseas, in the OS section of a record store, I came across a bright red album cover with large bright letters that spelled Rush. I had no idea who or what it was, but the photos on the back of the album showing three long-haired heavy metal types piqued my interest. The store owner had no idea what type of genre Rush was, so I took a chance. I bought the album. Even though Rush's first album was released in 74, it took two to three years before it was available here in the Antipodes. Wow. So the first tra- track blew me away and scared me. I loved it, and from then on, I was hooked. I think my next album was All the World's a Stage, Since you got three records for a slightly higher price than a single album, I know I had to order that pressing, which took months to arrive. Since then, I started purchasing all their albums chronologically, starting from Fly By Night. I do recall when Permanent Waves was released in 1980. By that stage, I didn't need to travel into the city to buy it from a specialist store. The university record shop stocked Rush albums, believe it or not. Like many Rush fans, I started losing interest when their sound became more keyboard and electronic-oriented, but I never gave up on them. In fact, the older I have become, the more I enjoy that period of their musical development. But would I ever see them live? Would they tour Australia? I seriously doubted it. So in 2007, the Snakes and Hours tour, I took the ultimate plunge and traveled to Boston and New York wow. to see them live. The airfare and tickets cost a small fortune but I was 12 rows directly in front at both gigs. Here I was in front of a band that I had followed since the mid 1970s. And it was a blast. I envy those fans that have seen rush many, many times. However, my two shows will live with me forever. What a journey it's been from a teenage boy, taking a punt on buying a weird looking album cover to listening to your great podcast. Wow. Wow. I said, that is quite a journey. That is quite, that <laughs> is quite a journey. Your podcast brings back so many memories of hearing their tunes for the first time and being mesmerized by their sound. Thanks, guys.
0: Wow. Thank you, Stephen.
1: That that was a great story.
0: It was. And if you're going to travel that far to see Rush, you might as well get 12th row tickets too, right? Right. And you might as well see two shows. And you might as well see two shows. You know, I never really thought about the fact that we're really lucky to be here in the United States and our listeners who are in Canada. Rush albums were readily available. Not so in Australia.
1: Yeah, I never knew that. I never thought about that. But also, you know, being so close to New York, if you want to go see a show, if a band's coming, you can just go see them if a band is touring.
0: Yeah, everybody plays New York.
1: Everybody plays New York.
0: We are spoiled. We are spoiled, Steve. We really are. You more than me. (laughs) And we're we're very spoiled with (laughs) this album we're talking about, too, because it's
1: fantastic. It is fantastic.
0: Signals, so fantastic that we only got through one song on the last podcast. We're going to try to rectify that today and get through more than one song today. Probably two. Probably two. Hopefully three. You never know.
1: Now, m- we may just do the whole thing, the rest
0: of it. We may do the whole thing. Why don't we start with track two on Signals, Chair? The Analog Kid. I'm gonna start with a quote, Jarrett as I've been doing. This one is the the one that blew me away. Okay. Okay. Yep. This is from Neil Peart. Too many hands on my time. You recall that's a that's a phrase from the lyrics. Yeah. Of the Analog Kid. Right. Comes from of all things a Sticks song that had some reference to too much time on my hands. No way. I just turned it around. There you are, a Rush song directly inspired by Sticks. The truth is out.
1: (laughs) I can't believe that.
0: (laughs) Can you believe that?
1: No, that's crazy. (laughs) So he took too
0: much time on my hands and
1: swapped it. Did you ever see that Jimmy Fallon thing? Oh, it's brilliant.
0: It's brilliant. (laughs) If you haven't seen this, go to YouTube, type in Jimmy Fallon and too much time on my hands. Paul Rudd. Who's a huge, he's a huge rush fan. He did this video with Jimmy yeah. Fallon. It was fantastic.
1: It's so, good.
0: So, it's so good. It's so good. It's hilarious. You have to know the original video to really get right. the joke. It's a shot by
1: shot remake. <laughs> it's
0: awesome. It's so anyway, that, that was the quote that jumped out at me.
1: Wow. I wonder if that's, was the germ of the, of the song or if he just needed something and he just thought of that and said, let me just turn it around. Yeah. I think he just happened
0: to hear the stick song and the sticks album came out in 1981, which was right before this. So he might've heard it on the radio. And there you go. Yeah. Here's a quote from Getty for you, Jar. I think every young musician can relate to this. You have this dream about making it, but don't really know what it means. You just go for this goal with your eyes closed, your heart wide open, and let things happen from there. I don't think any of us realized how far Rush would go, and I don't think we like to think about it either.
1: Hmm. Hmm. I like to think about how far, when they were younger, how far it could go. They didn't want to think about it.
0: Yeah, I guess so. When there were that kid in the grass dreaming. Yeah. Like the analog kid. Yeah. Interesting. So your initial thoughts on this song, Jer? I mean, to me, this is this is up there. I'm not going to say it's my top 10. It could be, though.
1: Could make it. It could be. It's definitely, uh, I think it's my third favorite song on the album. Really? So, yeah. So
0: Subdivisions is one. Subdivisions is one. New World Man is two, correct? Yes. How'd you know? I know you very well.
1: <laughs> I love New and World And the
0: Analog man. Kid is number three. Yeah. The fact that this is the third favorite song on this record, and it's so fantastic, Yeah, tells you how good this record is.
1: Yeah. Uh, the one thing that jumps out immediately is that there are two songs on this album that have to do with technology. There's the Analog Kid and the Digital Man, mm-hmm. which is two songs ahead. So first, I think maybe... Could it be the same person in both songs? The analog kid grows up and becomes the digital man. Certainly. Certainly it could be. I don't know what that thread is exactly, but it's possible. Well, I
0: read that Neil meant this song to be a companion piece to digital
1: man. In like, what way? Like a traveling partner?
0: know, he doesn't really explain. This is from Stories from Signals. Found this on the Power Windows website collected from The Drummer's Diary, written by Neil, which I guess was in the tour book. Oh, okay. He said, I had written the analog kid as sort of a companion piece to Digital Man, which had been written last fall up at La Studio. Getty liked it, and we discussed different ways it could be treated musically. As we often do, we thought it would be interesting to take the opposite approach to what the lyrics would suggest, make it an up-tempo rocker with some kind of dynamic contrast for the choruses. We also looked at a rough version of the weapon that I put together and agreed it would need some more work. He told me what he liked and what he didn't like. He gave me some good points to work on. So that's it. He doesn't really get into an
1: explanation of what the song's about.
0: But Neil definitely had, had Digital Man in mind when he wrote this one.
1: Yeah. Okay, well, let's get into it then. Okay, let's do it. All right. The title, of course, Analog, the Analog Kid. You know, I mean, you're in media, so the difference between Analog and digital,
0: right. Well, an analog recording would be something recorded on tape,
1: right. Analog is what okay. I, I found an interesting definition. It's a continuous signal, whereas digital is discrete packets mm. of information. But when we think of when we think of analog in today's world, you know, we're thinking hard copies, you know, right. We're thinking vinyl records. We're thinking you know, pieces of paper and pens to sign w- with and things like that. Mm-hmm. But for this kid, you know, this kid is living in a, you got to remember this was the eighties, right? This is the digital age Did it even, has it even started yet? Digital age? Yeah, I think so. Well, that's
0: it. I think this is the beginning of the digital age. Yeah. So I think that the, I think you're right. I think the analog kid and the digital man are, are the same person. And I think it's Neil. Oh. I think when he was a kid, he was the analog kid. Now he's the digital man.
1: Yeah. yeah. Because the analog kid, he's got he's got some lofty ideas in his head about where he wants to go, but has no idea where to go and what those things are going to look like when he gets them.
0: <laughs> right. And it sounds a lot like what Neil may have been thinking when he was a 10-year-old boy laying in the grass, checking out that fawn-eyed girl.
1: Yeah. Which is a great description. Oh, totally. Fawn-eyed girl. Yeah. So, should we start at the beginning? Please. As we always do. A hot and windy August afternoon has the trees in constant motion with a flash of silver leaves, and they're rocking in the breeze. Great image. Yeah. So, we have a lot of movement, right? Mm-hmm. In these trees and the wind and all of that kind of stuff. But then, we get the boy, and the boy lies in the grass with one blade stuck between his teeth. A Vague sensation quickens, which... Which I love because a vague sensation quickens. You would think that it would be like uh, an actual hard image or uh, uh, something that he knows he wants to get that would quicken in his heart. But it's just a vague sensation that quickens in his young and restless heart and a bright and nameless vision has him longing to depart. He just sounds like a dreamer.
0: Yeah, he's dreaming, but he doesn't know where he wants to go.
1: He just knows it isn't here is Wanderlust.
0: Now, I read in a couple of places that this could have been inspired by a poem by Edgar Lee Masters called Jonathan Houghton. Did you hear about this? I did not. So here's, here's the line from the poem. And a boy lies in the grass near the feet of the old man and looks up at the sailing clouds and longs, longs, and
1: longs for what he knows not.
0: Hmm. So, which, okay. which is a little similar to Neil's lyrics.
1: Yeah. So that's two things he might have lifted. Well I wouldn't say lifted. <laughs> I would say borrowed. Okay. Sure. Borrowed. Yeah, and I guess in, in that little poem, what's happening there? He he's learning from someone but like wants to leave and but doesn't know where he's gonna go. Yeah. Is that the mm-hmm. thrust of that? And what's the what's with the chorus, Steve?
0: What's with the chorus?
1: Tell me about the how what the chorus makes you feel.
0: First of all, before we get into the chorus, the beginning of the song just rocks. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's fabulous, and it's driven by the bass line in this song is outstanding. The bass drives it, and it just moves, like Neil was saying in the quote we read. I mean, it's just a a different feel for the song than you would expect Yeah, with lyrics like this.
1: It, it moves like the wind through the trees at the beginning of the song. Yeah,
0: and then when you get to the chorus, it slows down. Yeah. And we get the keyboard part,
1: right? Yeah, the keyboard part. And you move me you move me with your buildings and your eyes.
0: Autumn woods and winter skies.
1: Yeah. Is he just doing opposites?
0: Yeah, I mean I just think he's dreaming. I think it's yeah. this kid in his dream state, dreaming about different things, dreaming about buildings in the city, autumn woods, winter skies. I mean it's all all different images that are flying through this kid's head. That's that's what right. I see. I mean, I could be wrong.
1: Yeah, it's like he doesn't know where to, to land, where to focus on. Mm-hmm. Does he want to go to the city? Does he want to be with people? Does he want to be in the the, the woods in the autumn? Or does he want to you know be on a mountaintop in the winter? Mm-hmm. Dude's all over the place.
0: Yep. You call me, you call me. Open sea and city lights, busy streets and dizzy heights. You call me, you call me. Yeah. He's hearing the call of the city, Jer.
1: Right. It's, it's a lot like uh, Subdivisions.
0: Yes. I mean, it ties right in with Subdivisions. He's the little kid that lives in the suburbs and is out in the park somewhere dreaming.
1: Right. And then we get to the maybe the biggest fantasy of all in the song, right? The fallen-eyed girl with sun-brown legs dances on the edge of his dream.
0: And we've all had that experience <laughs> as a little boy, have we not? Seriously. yeah,
1: Yeah. Just some, I don't know, just some girl he probably saw once and is just like thinking about like oh we're gonna move away get married or something like that that's what i feel from it oh totally and her voice rings in his ears like the music of the spheres which i love uh, because do you know what the the spheres are the music of the spheres no i don't in you know antiquity or whatever people thought that as the planets moved they vibrated and made music. Oh, really? So if you could hear it, you could be out in space or whatever. And all of these celestial objects are making beautiful, heavenly like music. And that's what her voice is in his head. Her voice rings in his ears, like the music of the spheres.
0: I just love how Neil taps into just, just that feeling. You know, I I just go back to being a little boy. Yeah listening to the lyrics of this song.
1: Yeah. He does a great job
0: because we've all had that one girl that we barely knew. And she was just, you know,
1: yeah. The little red haired girl from peanuts
0: in our heads. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Charles Schultz did the same thing. He tapped into that too. He knew what was going on. Charles. But, <laughs> <Schultz>. <laughs> totally. So now we get back to the boy lying in the grass.
1: Unmoving. So he has all of this motion around him, right? All these dreams. The world around him is moving, the trees and the the wind, and he has all of these ideas, but he's just there in the grass, unmoving, staring at the sky. And his mother starts to call him as a hawk goes soaring by, which is a good contrast of images, right? Oh, yeah. Home and away, right? Mom for dinner and a hawk just flying away to some adventure.
0: Yeah, and the hawk is... Going where he wants to go, away.
1: Yeah, exactly. But then he pulls down his baseball cap and covers up his eyes.
0: (laughs) Doesn't want to hear his mom calling him.
1: Does not want to hear, doesn't want to see the Hawk either, right? He He just wants to be in whatever fantasy land he's living in right at the moment. Indeed. It's a great sketch of, you know, it's not a song that covers an entire life. It's not a song that covers huge and heavy themes like death it's just a song about a boy dreaming of you know things that children dream of whatever they want to be that they'll have all of these great adventures and they can hear the adventure calling them from wherever but you know they have no idea what exactly it means to be an adult and to actually go out and do things it's just all ideas at this point Mm -hmm. you know like i'm going to move to the city i'm going to be near the buildings Okay. That's great. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they're very childlike ideas about what it means to kind of get out into the world.
0: Yes. Yeah. I totally agree. Totally agree. And I just love the contrast between the chorus and the verses. I mean, yeah, the speed of the, of the verses to the slowing down of the, the chorus, the contrast there is just fantastic.
1: Right. It's so dreamy too. And the lyrics are dreamy too. Yeah. You You move me, you move me. You call me, you call me.
0: And this is the kind of song that Rush couldn't have done five years earlier because those keyboards bring you to that dreamlike state Yeah, that you couldn't get to on, let's say, hemispheres.
1: Right. I agree.
0: Really fantastic. They're just ma- they're making use of their new tools, Jer.
1: To them, new musical equipment is just a new highway someplace, you know, and something new to play with and, and figure out new avenues of expression. It's great.
0: And my favorite point of the song musically is right before we get into this this verse, The Boy Lies in the Grass Unmoving. Yeah. Getty and Alex are like Yeah. That is just awesome. It is. The boy lies in the grass So now we get into the bridge, Jared. The bridge. The bridge. A confounded bridge. So this is the line. Neil was talking about too many hands on my time mm-hmm. sticks is huge influence on rush here
1: <laughs> sticks DNA all over this song. <laughs> I like sticks. I, I, I like some stick songs. I'm, I couldn't say I'm a fan. Actually, Tommy Shaw opened up for rush once.
0: Tommy Shaw opened for rush. And I believe he was uh, very close with the guys in rush.
1: Yeah. He was pretty good. Yeah. I think he sang this song. I think he did. Wow. That and That's Girls an- with Guns. <laughs> <laughs> that was
0: Tommy's big hit. Oh, yeah. Girls with Guns. I have
1: no idea how that song goes.
0: <laughs> so anyway, your
1: thoughts on this bridge, Jer? Oh, man. Too many hands on my time. Too many feelings. Too many things on my mind. And this is a kid. His mind is racing. His mind, he's got too many people on him trying to monopolize his time. He has too many feelings he can't get a hold of. And there's just too many things on his mind. This, this kid is all over the place. But then, when I leave, I don't know what I'm hoping to find. When I leave, I don't know what I'm leaving behind. So even though he wants to get out, he's conflicted about the avenues to go, right? Mm-hmm. If he leaves, he doesn't even know what he's hoping to find. Never mind to find he doesn't even know what he's, what he's hoping to find. He doesn't even, he has no clue whatsoever what it means to get whatever he thinks he wants to get. That's because he's 12. I know. <laughs> I mean, there you go. <laughs> I know. And then he doesn't know what he's leaving behind because he'll grow up. This is, I think this is Neil, you know, getting into that headspace as an adult because you'll leave and you'll sort of like in, we were talking about subdivisions at the end of subdivisions. Maybe you want to go back. Yeah. Maybe you you realize that things, some things were better back where you were than they are where, you know, the place you went to for whatever reason, comfort, you know, close friends, family, that kind of stuff.
0: But that's the last thing this kid's thinking about.
1: Yeah. He doesn't even know what he's leaving behind. No idea. He'll find out though.
0: He'll find out after he leaves it behind. Yeah. And then he'll miss it and come back to the suburbs like we were talking about in subdivisions, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Circle of life.
0: Before we continue here, I just want to say that Getty's vocals on this song are fantastic. I mean, he just brings out the emotion in this song like nobody's business. I mean, it's great. Especially this part here. Yeah. When I leave, I don't know what I'm hoping to find. I mean, he's, the emotion is just fantastic.
1: And when he says behind, he kind of like trails off mm-hmm. at the end and then here comes Alex. Yeah. Well, before we get into Alex though, there's the, what is that?
0: Is that like a mini Moog or something that goes into the solo? I
1: don't know what that is.
0: It's fantastic. You, you hear that, and then Alex is just like, you know? It, it, kind, of,
1: it kind of sounds like a, um, a sound effect they would play if you were you know, traveling through time in a movie. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just like something to, to get you in a totally different space.
0: And again, the Alex solo is
1: fantastic. It is absolutely fantastic.
0: Fantastic. You know, I, you know, the more I talk about this song, the more I think it might crack my top 10, Jar. It might do it. You always, I always say it, but
1: look, something's got to do it. Something's got to some, make it. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, this, this is my favorite solo on the album. I mean, I guess that's no surprise because it's really the, the most rock and solo on the entire album. So, Oh, totally. Um, but I'll, let me tell you this story. One time when I was visiting our other friend Steve at his at his uh, college, right? Okay. This was this was back in I don't know ninety three four maybe. Okay. Um, and he had a roommate who really loved Rush and played guitar. So he and I would listen to Rush a lot. Everyone else was in you know partying in the other room, and we would be sitting listening to Rush. And he had um, signals and he said, he goes, have you ever listened to signals on headphones? I was like, um, I guess. He's like, no, like on the the big can headphones. And right. I'm like, no, I don't think I have. He goes, listen to it, but listen to the separation between the instruments during the solo, the guitar solo. Yeah. And I did. And it is, it is so beautiful. It was just, it's clear, There's clear spaces. You can almost picture the three of them standing in a triangle, looking at each other and playing There's keyboards are kind of not really there but there is a space between each of them and they each fill up this space it is the most incredibly produced guitar solo because all of the other instruments too are just in perfect balance yet separated from each other so you can hear them individually nothing's muddied at all it was incredible
0: yeah it's it's just fantastic and this song for sure is my favorite song on this record for sure
1: really oh no question about uh, it above subdivisions yeah yeah i would wow. go
0: i would go analog kid digital man believe it or not then subdivisions then new world man how about that
1: wow how about that yeah okay
0: sure well you can't argue with anything i know i can't argue
1: with that. <laughs> <laughs> no steve i think you're wrong
0: toward the end of the solo like you said they're just jamming here jamming i mean it's it's crazy then
1: we get back into the the bridge part again
0: yeah so it ends with that same bridge
1: yeah it's amazing i mean there's so much there's so much movement it's like that you know in the verses there's movement right and like you said you come out into the the choruses and it slows down but from this guitar solo you i don't know if you could go back to that really really slow thing you have to go back to the bridge right
0: yeah and I love how the song ends the same way it goes into the solo with that, whoa, 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 you know, yeah. at the end. Yep, which is great. It's a perfect song. It really is. It is. I know. It's amazing. Rush has many perfect songs. This is one of them. Definitely. All right. Let's move on to track three on Signals, Jer. Chemistry. jared chemistry chemistry i've got a quote for you from alex lifeson the guitarist we know and love yeah this is from a 1986 issue of guitar for the practicing musician Mm. talking about power windows apparently very often the guys will have worked out something musically and made a tape of it which they have nothing particular in mind grand designs on the last album was done that way they had the musical ideas laid out and just made a little tape for me with guitar keyboards and drum machine and I had that. So again, if I'm stumped on something that I've been working on, I pull out that tape and try to close my mind off for a minute and listen to the tape. Chemistry was a true collaboration between the three of us. The other guys had a couple of key phrases they wanted to express, so they gave me the music. That was easy because all the groundwork was done. Playing with words comes so much easier than having to dream up the whole thing. Interesting. So this was the last song, Jer, that Getty and Alex got a lyric credit on, which I found incredible.
1: Yeah. That might owe to the abstract nature of this song. This song is very abstract for me. Yeah. I mean, it could mean a lot of things. It could mean a lot of things. What do you think it means? Oh, it's Steve, I think it means a lot of things. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, I mean, the thing that I think it might mean, I mean, I know there's a lot of technical terms in here and we're talking about actual chemistry and biology and things like that, but is the deeper meaning of this Rush's chemistry the chemistry between Getty, Alex, and Neil?
1: I don't know. Is that ultimately what this song is about? I think of it as uh, the op- the beginning of it is chemical reactions, and then the end of it is you know emotional reactions, the connections between people, and how they mimic the um, chemical reactions. You know what I mean? Like you put two chemicals together, and they gel, they blow up. They don't like each other or they, they, you know, they come together and form water. (laughs) Right. A very useful thing. So I, it's entirely possible that yeah, in some way, as if personalities can gel like certain chemicals can, then yeah, you get something great out of it. And again, more, you know, the sum, was it the more than the sum of their parts, right?
0: Right. But one thing Rush has more than almost any other band is chemistry.
1: Yeah, it's true. And the outcome of chemistry is uh, something new. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Oxygen and hydrogen. Right. Two gases. Put them together. Water. Water, Steve. Right. So, yeah, in that way, they come together and they make something new.
0: Which one is the H? Is Getty H and then Alex and Neil are O?
1: No, it's two hydrogen,
0: right? Is that right? I think so, yeah. H2O. Oh, right. See, see this is why I failed chemistry. Kalyani <laughs> Menon would be
1: very upset with me right now, Jerry. She would be. Oh, my God. Kalyani Menon. Jerry and I oh. took the
0: same chemistry class in college. Yep. And the teacher used to erase the board with her hand, and it drove me crazy.
1: <sighs> but she did let us take the final, the same final, after we failed it once. She gave us the same test until we passed it. I failed it twice. I did too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so we're not qualified at all to even talk about this song, but we're going to do it anyway.
1: Oh, I was going to say, that's why we're skipping over.
0: The <laughs> one. So, so the beginning of the song, Jared starts out with the keyboards, a la subdivisions
1: la. Yeah.
0: So the, uh, you know, the diehard hardcore heavy metal rush fans probably weren't happy with this one either, but I think it's great.
1: Yeah. I think we spoke about this on the previous Podcast, you can tell why some people might not be too happy about this album. Oh, totally. But I think like with the other albums from the eighties, you know, if you if you sit with them long enough, you'll see the song craft.
0: But I think Alex's guitar shines in this song though. The the guitar riffs are great. He's got the solo at the begin solo at the beginning.
1: Yes. You know, right.
0: You can hear that hear that solo in the distance. Right. You know, it's it's awesome
1: yeah this is good
0: just a just a solo in a different spot of the song which i I think is fantastic, just totally different,
1: yeah, I wonder if that has something to mem- uh, remember uh, like the beginning of spirit of radio that was supposed to represent like turning the dial right of a radio do you think that that solo on chemistry at the beginning has something to do with chemical reactions
0: I would think so, or or as in the beginning of the song, signals transmitted message received some sort of Message going through the air. Yeah. Maybe.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I think that these first two verses are about chemistry, just, you know, basic chemistry. Okay. Signals, signals, transmitted message, received reaction, making impact invisibly. Mm -hmm. Elemental telepathy, which is funny because later on when I think that it's about people, he says elemental empathy. Elemental telepathy, exchange of energy, reaction, making contact mysteriously. And, you know, that's what happens when chemicals come together, right? There's, an ex- there's a transfer of energy.
0: And I think the drums and the guitar in this part are just fantastic. You know, Alex has got that crunchy, crunchy guitar going. Yeah. It's great.
1: So, Steve, why don't you uh, hit me with the next, the next lines of the song? All right. Eye to eye,
0: reaction burning hotter. Two to one, reflection on the water. What say you?
1: Well, there's more, Steve. There's a little more after that.
0: H two O, no flow without the other. Oh, but how do they make contact with one another?
1: Wow, that was a great that was a, a great <laughs> rendition, Steve. <laughs> I still think this is
0: about the band. I really do. You do? Yeah, I still do. I mean, look it it makes sense chemistry wise yeah but it makes sense rush wise too
1: don't you think well i mean yeah the basic chemistry that people have with each other i think we've already spoken about that right right and the, the funny thing is the 2 to 1 and then the h2o which is clever you know neil is just ridiculously clever right yes h h2o obviously is is water but h2o <laughs> i don't know right no flow no flow without the other so clever it
0: is clever. You can read it either yeah. way. H-T-O-O or H, the number
1: two O. Right. And then he says, but how do they make contact with one another? Which is a great, that's, a, that's a, a, a big philosophical question if you ask me. How do all these things, how did they make contact with one another? I have no idea. I mean, there's still, there's still oxygen around, there's still hydrogen around, and some of it is together. I'm really showing my ignorance.
0: We should go to Brookdale and track down <laughs> Kalyani Menon and ask her.
1: <laughs> she would know. <laughs> she would definitely She know. would let us know. And then I think the rest of the song is about the human interaction. This is where I think that they start talking about, uh, Neil's talking about them. Right. Specifically. Because emotion transmitted, emotion received, music in the abstract positively. Mm-hmm. And you know, that music is very emotional. Yes. You can, we've talked about this, what song did we talk about this in? Chain Lightning. Exactly. Right? How energy is, can be transmitted over distances physically, but also through music and feelings, right? Elemental empathy, which harkens back to elemental telepathy, where somehow like elemental telepathy is kind of like, you know, how these ions come together. How do they seek each other out, right? Positive. Mm-hmm. charges and negative charges. How do they they come together? It's almost like a telepathy, like they can read each other's minds. But here we have elemental empathy.
0: And that's a human emotion.
1: That's a human emotion. And music making contact naturally, you know, because it is. It's just going to make contact with people and people are going to, you know, gain something from it. Or not. Or not. That's true. That's true. Uh, that would be a, a the negative emotion, right? Like when you hear taproot. Right. <laughs> Sorry, Taproot fans. But Rush positively, of course. Of course. And then one, two, three, add without subtraction. Sound on sound, multiplied reaction. That's you know, that's songwriting, right?
0: Yeah. And I just love the words he uses here. It's just incredible.
1: I know. It's like listening to the cars when you were younger. Rick Kasich used the weirdest words all the time.
0: And it always worked.
1: I know. It always worked. I just scrambling for the dictionary every once in a while. But then he goes, H2O, no flow without the other. Oh, but how do we make contact with one another? That's as much, that's as much of a mystery to Neil probably than, you know, chemistry in general, right? Yeah. How do you make contact with people? How do you, how do you make a connection with them? How is it possible that these three men came together
0: and just had perfect chemistry?
1: Yeah, that is amazing.
0: It really is. It is. Neil shows up at that audition, and it's perfect.
1: Right. But then Alex and Getty just knowing each other in, in school, it's crazy. What are the chances? What are the chances of two people meeting in school and being friends for 40 years, Steve? What's the chances of that?
0: And then ending up doing a Rush podcast?
1: Yeah, that'd be weird.
0: For 50 episodes? <laughs> That's very strange. <laughs> what are the chances? We have chemistry too, Jer, I
1: think. I think so too. So there you go. As we say nothing. <laughs> <laughs> we have great chemistry. Silence. Did we talk about the guitar solo yet? No, we didn't.
0: Just an emotional solo.
1: I know. This whole album, I think he's really, you know, he's trying something new, right? He's he's they're doing things with the keyboards, but he's not playing like he used to play, right? It's a it's a different feel to every guitar part
0: but just the fact that he could do it so masterfully the first time he tried a different way of playing the guitar
1: I know it's insane
0: just incredible and he takes it to a you know whole different level on grace under pressure and power windows too
1: oh I know I can't wait to talk about grace under pressure
0: yeah it's very exciting very exciting yeah so anything else about chemistry Jeb before we move on to the next track on signals
1: no I think I'm I think I'm good.
0: All right. You're all chemistryed out? Yeah. The next track on Signals is Digital Man. So, Jared, here's a fact I read about Digital Man.
1: I love facts, Steve.
0: According to Ultimate Classic Rock, the website that we've uh, mentioned frequently on the podcast, Terry Brown was so disgusted with the band's direction on this song that he initially refused to record the
1: track. Why? Does it give an explanation?
0: No, he just didn't like the direction that Rush was going in. And he refused to do it initially. And apparently I guess they, they talked him into it. Wow. That's crazy. Which of course ultimately led to the end of Terry Brown's relationship with Rush. Yeah. But I had no idea. That's
1: crazy, right? Yeah. I mean, I want, what is it about the song though? What, what in particular do you think? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's definitely different for a Rush song. You know,
0: it's really funky. I love it. This is one of my favorite tracks on the album.
1: Yeah, the drums at the beginning.
0: Oh, yeah, it's, it's amazing. And the bass line, along with the Analog Kid. Yeah. The bass line on this song and the Analog Kid are two of my
1: favorites from Getty. But do you think it's radically different, really, than the other songs in the album? I don't, I've never, it's never you know, stuck out to me, in like uh, maybe vital signs. I don't know what order they recorded them in, though. So this may have been one of
0: the first ones they recorded. Hmm. I'd have to find that out.
1: I have a question for you, Steve. We talked about this briefly, but is the digital man a grown-up analog kid?
0: I believe so. I think so. Okay. I think that's fair to say. As we said before, Neil said this was, the analog kid was kind of a companion piece to digital man.
1: Right. But is it a direct line from one song to the other or just? I
0: think so. I think so. I I think they're the same person. Okay. Well, let's
1: go through the lyrics.
0: And again, I think the analog kid is Neil. And I think the digital man is also Neil at a different point in his life.
1: Yeah. This song, I have to tell you, is a little abstract for me. It's difficult for me to you know, formulate some kind of cohesive interpretation of the entire song.
0: All right. Well, let's go through it and see, see what we come up with. Okay. His world is under observation. We monitor his station.
1: Yeah. So let's start with that. Okay. Who's doing what? Who's we? Right? <laughs> the, dig- the digital man's world. Is under observation. We monitor his station. Are they just? Is that just like the proliferation of uh, security cameras, even in the eighties? Like, what does that mean? Yeah, I, that's. I mean, I guess that's the way I interpret it. Underfaces and the places where he traces points of view. I, I'm at a loss. I really don't know.
0: Yeah, that's a tough one. That's yeah, a tough. It sounds one. great, though. Oh, it's great. <laughs>
1: yeah, he <laughs> picks it. picks up scraps of conversation, radio, and radiation from the dancers and romancers with the answers but no clue. I think he's just listening
0: to all of the chatter that's out there. I mean, now it would be on the internet, but back then it would be, you know, on TV, in the newspapers, right. Things that people are saying.
1: But you know, TV and, and newspapers are analog. At least TV was back then. That's true. This is digital. That's why I'm confused. That's true. But the thing is, so he picks up scraps of conversation, radio, and radiation from the dancers and romancers with the answers, but no clue. Which seems to me, you know, that he has no idea what's really going on, right? People have the answers to things, but they maybe they have the question wrong. Do you ever hear that phrase? Yeah, but I think it just
0: means they think they have the answers,
1: but but they have they have no clue. But
0: they really don't have a clue, right? Which is what I think he's saying here. They believe
1: they have the answers, but in reality. They're clueless. And then I guess this is the chorus, right? Would you say the next thing is the chorus? I don't think so. I would call this a bridge.
0: Okay. He'd love to spend the night in Zion. Mm-hmm. He's been a long, long while in Babylon. Yep. He'd like a lover's wings to fly on to a tropic isle of Avalon. Yeah. Now I looked up all three of these places. Did you? Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Uh, yeah. Because this, uh, this, Song has a like a reggae kind of quality to it. And Babylon and Zion are, are huge in reggae songs. Oh, really? See, I was thinking more biblical. Well, yeah, it is. They are from the Bible. But, you know, Zion in reggae songs is usually the homeland where you can finally go and, you know, be at peace. And Babylon is the outside world, colonialism, something that would try to pull you away from spirituality and things like that. Oh, okay. But I mean, in the Bible, it's kind of the same thing. Zion, I believe, is Jerusalem, Israel. The easternmost of the
0: two hills of ancient Jerusalem. So like you said, it's it's the homeland.
1: It's the homeland, yeah. And then Babylon, of course, is uh, the Tower of Babel, right? Such a corrupt and evil place. Right. They were building that tower to try to get closer to God. A wicked city. A wicked city, man.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And what about Avalon? Uh, that's, uh, like Arthurian legend, I believe. Yes.
0: Yes. And it means the Isle of Fruit. Oh, nice. And according to what I read, it was the place where King Arthur's Excalibur was forged. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah.
1: How about that? Ah, you ever see that movie Excalibur? I didn't.
0: No. Oh. We could get into the movies I haven't seen. That'll take a whole other <laughs> podcast, Jar.
1: So he'd love to spend the night in Zion. Right, He'd like to be someplace where he's at peace, mm-hmm. but only for a night. He only wants to be there for a little while.
0: And he's been a long, long while in Babylon. But
1: yeah, because he's been outside of the homeland or whatever right, for right. a long time, indulging himself in whatever mm-hmm. one indulges oneself in. And like a lover's wings to fly onto a tropic Isle of Avalon. Now, I wonder if Avalon, I didn't look it up. I should have. Is, is Avalon have anything to do with, uh, you know, where you go after you die? Not that I saw, but it's possible. Or just another place to, to rest?
0: This is definitely a cryptic
1: one. That's for this sure. Is a, that's it. That's, that's the word I was looking for. It is a cryptic, cryptic song. Maybe that's what Terry Brown didn't like about it.
0: I don't think it was the, the lyrics. <laughs> at all. I think it was the music he didn't like. It's, uh, you know, it's got a funky sort of feel to it. Like you said, reggae.
1: Yeah. And then his world is under anesthetic subdivided and synthetic. His reliance on the giants in the science of the day. I'm not sure what that, again, I have no answers for this one. I don't know why. This is one, very few Rush songs that I I can't, whether I'm right or, or wrong, I at least have an idea of what I the song might be about. This one escapes me.
0: Well, I mean, I think my interpretation is, what it's saying is kind of like, take life by the horns almost he's changing with the times he's moving forward. He's trying new things like the last verse. He's got a force field and a flexible plan. He's got a date with fate in a black sedan plays fast forward for as long as he can, but he won't need a bed. He's a digital man. He's always moving forward onto the next thing. Hmm. He's not staying in one place. And what do you think? And along the way he's picking up scraps of information,
1: right? And the date with fate in a black sedan. I have an idea of what that might be, but it could be totally off base. The black sedan would be a hearse. Could be. So he's going to die one day. He could be getting married. (laughs) could Could be be.
0: a limousine.
1: (laughs) For a second there, I thought you got to say he could be getting married. And that's the the (laughs) death of us all. (laughs) I did not say that. Don't put words (laughs) in my mouth. And that's why he plays fast forward for as long as he can. And he won't need a bed, like you said, because he's, he's not resting. Right. I think
0: you're right. I think the black sedan is a hearse. Hmm. I think it's death. Date with fate in a black sedan. Yeah. He keeps moving because why not keep moving? Yeah, right. Why not keep learning about new things?
1: Oh, speaking of hearses, did you, you know that Neil Young song, Long May You Run? Yes. That's about a car he had. He owned a hearse that he used to drive around in and he sold it and he wrote that song. About the hearse. Wow. It sounds like a great song that you might sing to your children, right? <laughs> like, but it's about a car. It's about a car. <laughs> a car that you
0: carry coffins in.
1: <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. You should say verse. Do you think that he's got a force able to flexible plan that part is a verse? I think that's the chorus. That's the chorus? Comes once at the end of the song?
0: I think so. Yeah.
1: We should ask Nathan. That's
0: that's what I think. And it's got got the title of the song in it.
1: That's true. That's true. But it's uh, it comes at the end, right at the end.
0: Yeah, but that's fine. That's very Rush-like. They don't care.
1: No. Let's put the chorus at the end. And let's talk about that, that the solo section, right, where it kind of breaks down a little bit.
0: When it, where it slows down in the bass line. Yeah. I was reading somewhere it's been compared to Walking on the Moon by the police. And I could see that. Huh. Let's play a little bit of it here. You can hear that walking on the moon bass line there, no?
1: Yeah, I, I definitely heard you play that police song, Yes. <laughs> <I guess. laughs> <laughs> you know walking on the moon, come on. <laughs> I do know walking on the moon. Um, yeah, I, now that you mentioned it, sure, it does sound like that. Yeah, but the solo again, right? Oh,
0: a- another incredible one.
1: Even in this part, all, all three of them playing at the same time yeah. with, with the solo. Perfect.
0: It's perfect. What a
1: great song. I, what's Terry Brown thinking? This is a great song.
0: I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. Well, that's why Rush probably said, you know what? You know, as much as we love Terry, he wants to go in a di- different direction than we do. So. Right. That's probably part of why they decided to make the switch.
1: Or maybe he wants to stay in the direction they were going.
0: Right, right. And if you're not seeing eye to eye with your producer, that's a huge thing. Right. And the most important thing was that Getty, Alex, and Neil saw eye to eye on their direction. Right. And they needed to find a producer that saw that direction.
1: That's true, Steve.
0: Another thing I love is at the end, when Getty starts doing the spoken word thing at the end.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you don't like that? No, no. I'm saying yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cause I don't, I don't know what you're going to say. Oh, that's it. You like it? I like it. Oh, I, thought were, I thought there was going to be more like when he's doing the spoken word. He plays fast forward for as long as he can, but
0: he won't need a bed.
1: He's the digital man, you know? <laughs> yeah, he's just kind of like, it's, it's almost like he's speaking to someone in the room, right? Right. Like he's, he stopped singing. Right. And he's just kind of like trailing off.
0: Yeah, it's great. It
1: is great. And it, it,
0: it's a fade out, Steve. And it's a fade out song. You know, I'm starting to come around to the fade out. I think it works here too.
1: I'm sure it does, right? I was just going to say, it pro- this song works great as a fade out. And this song fades
0: out. And the next song, which we'll talk about in the next podcast, fades in. Yeah, that's right. Interesting, huh?
1: Man, this is a great album.
0: It really is. It's fantastic. But I think we've talked about it enough today. We'll do the rest of the album on the next podcast. Okay. What do you say? We've got four more songs to go, so we're going to have to squeeze four, Jar into one podcast. Can we do
1: it? Yeah.
0: I think we can do sure. it. Yeah. But so far, I mean,
1: this album is fabulous. It is fabulous. Just fabulous. I just wish that, uh, you know, the Rush fans who kind of didn't like this album, I, you know, I wish that they could have given it a little more attention at the time. Yeah. And maybe they would have liked it a lot more.
0: Well, it got a lot of attention at the time. It sold a lot of records, so people bought it. That's true. They just didn't listen to it. And maybe, (laughs) well, I think a lot of Rush fans did listen to it, but a lot of other Rush fans just tossed it. Right. Perhaps in a used bin somewhere. It's so good, though. So good. So good. And look, maybe part of what we're doing here is getting people to listen to this again. Give it another shot. So if if you jumped off Rush after moving pictures, take a listen to Signals. I think you'll enjoy it.
1: I think I got an email, a few emails actually, about people saying that they didn't like the 80s stuff, starting with Power Windows, and then hearing us talk about them, those, those albums, Power Windows, Hold Your Fire. Mm-hmm. They, they decided to listen again, and you know they found some things they liked in they it. They came so around. Yeah.
0: Now, here's a question. There are some songs and albums we've talked about, just the two of us. Yes. Have you come around to any of the stuff that you didn't like prior to us doing this podcast?
1: I, yeah, I think so, right? I mean, I, like I said, at at the time I didn't give test for echo and counterparts really, really good listens Mm -hmm. and listening to them for the podcast. Definitely, definitely turned me around on those songs.
0: Yeah. For me, it was vapor trails,
1: vapor trails too. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, I love that album now. Love it. Yeah. So do I. I. I didn't dislike it, but I didn't love it as much as I do now. Yeah, that's true. Breaking it down really cemented it into my brain. Yep. Speaking of cementing things into my brain, you have a quote <laughs> to cement into my brain. I hope, Jer.
1: Do I? I hope so. Well, don't we go through the the, the end first, and then I give the quote. <laughs>
0: All right. You can find us on Twitter at Rush Fan Cast. Instagram, we are The Rush Cast. I'm going fast. Jerry, you better be ready. Oh, so ready. Email Jerry at TheRushCast at gmail.com. Lex did the bass intro. He did a fabulous job. What's your quote, Jerry?
1: Quote is emotion transmitted, emotion received, music in the abstract, positively. Nice. Take it easy. Thanks. Bye.